Hey, well, welcome back uh, for another edition of Speaking of Justice, a uh, featured broadcast here on the Legal Broadcast Network. Well, we've got a great guest today, one of the uh, nation's leading lawyers and somebody who is in the news really on a regular basis because he is deeply involved in some of the most uh, significant and large-scale litigation going on in the United States. Uh, We have Ken Feinberg joining us today. We know you're going to really enjoy this interview. Uh, he's graciously uh, given us time to kind of go over some questions. And he is in the news right now because uh, Volkswagen of America has retained him to handle the compensation and logistics uh, basically stemming from its diesel emission, you know, test deceptions. So, you know, like a lot of other firms, they're beginning to realize that it makes sense to bring in an outside expert to really put together a process to consolidate it and uh, to expedite the process and to fairly compensate uh, claimants. But it's not without controversy. You know, there's a lot of people who view these things as going outside the courts. And I think, you know, we're going to enjoy the conversation because we really want to kind of talk about some of the uh, misconceptions or uh, things that people are not aware of, trial lawyers included, about how these programs work and how the litigation works. So without any further delay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We'll get uh, Ken Feinberg on the phone. We'll be right back. All right. Well, we're back and uh, we have on the phone our guest, uh, Ken Feinberg. Ken, uh, thanks for joining us today. Glad to do it. Well, Ken, uh, we had a few things we wanted to cover, but uh, obviously what's in the news uh, right now is uh, the uh, Volkswagen America case, and uh, you were recently announced as having been retained by them to handle the logistical legal administrative process. Um, And, you know, we've talked a little bit, and I've set our audience up a little bit on the other cases you've worked on, but I think what people would like to know is what's unique about the VW cases and what makes them similar to other cases you've uh, been retained to handle. So what, what's the same and what's different? Well, certainly what's different is in Volkswagen. Fortunately, we don't confront death or physical injury. Even mm-hmm. in the BP oil spill, which was primarily a, an environmental loss, business wages, income case, there was still... Uh, multiple deaths and physical injuries on the rig. Mm-hmm. Here, it is strictly a um, uh, a claims program involving valuation of automobiles and penalties for um, uh, lax emission standards right. under U.S. law. So um, it's a little bit different that way. It's the same as 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund, the BP Oil Spill Fund, the GM Ignition Switch Program, in that we will, over the next few months, draft a final protocol Mm -hmm. that will lay out the terms and conditions of the program, and any voluntary submission of a claim will result in compensation or consideration uh, if the claimant is prepared to sign a release mm-hmm. uh, waiving the right to litigate over the emission problem. Okay, and and that's that's very similar to the the process in the GM case, which you were also the GM ignition case. I should uh, clarify, uh, you were also uh, administering. In that, uh, did, did the the 
car owners in that case, even though we did have, you know, some other, you know, we had some deaths and some things that, uh, that were alleged on that, but uh, did they also have to sign a claims form? I mean, it was, was, you know, you kind of sure. mentioned that process, yeah. In, in GM, we found 400 eligible claims arising out of ignition switch defect, mm-hmm. and those 400 claimants had an opportunity, once they knew the amount of money they were going to receive, Yeah. They had the opportunity to take the money and waive their right to sue GM. Well, so far at least, 93% of those 400 people accepted the generous Mm -hmm. uh, offer from the facility and waived their right to litigate in federal or state court. Okay, well, you know, and and I want to kind of, we'll circle back to that in a couple of questions uh, down down the road that I have. But what what's the single most challenging aspect of managing these mass torts? You know, whether it's a, a multi-state disaster like BP, which stretched from Florida to Texas, so you had all the municipalities, you had all the business owners, as you mentioned, you had the deaths out on the rig, uh, or a singular event like the Sandusky claims, where you had you know a, a known entity, you know, a, a smaller group. You know, what, what's what's the most, you know, challenging aspect for you in managing something like this? Emotion. doesn't yeah. matter what the, the genesis of the claim is. You find in doing these that the claimant, the individual filing the claim, mm-hmm. is angry, frustrated, disappointed, uncertain, and very emotional. Yeah and much more difficult than the design of the program or the processing of the claim or the calculation of the damage, much more difficult, is trying as best you can to listen to the emotional uh, anger of the claimant and to try and ameliorate some of that anger with um, generosity. But it's not easy. Yeah, and I, I mean, we've always heard the, the the kind of the old saw that trial lawyers all learned, which is that uh, you know, money is is not the greatest way to compensate people for loss, but it's the only system that we have, and you have to kind of that's go through exactly that. That's exactly right. You, know, you have to go through that imperfect system. That, that that's exactly right. I've learned over the last thirty-five years that money is a pretty poor substitute for loss. Yeah, but it is the American system. Mm-hmm. It is the device used to try and assist and demonstrate public and private empathy, mm-hmm. and um, that's it. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's funny because I was reading as we we're getting ready for the interview. I was going through some of the stories, and you know, NBC News had kind of an interesting take. They they compared you to the uh, Wolf character in uh, Pulp Fiction <laughs> as the guy who goes and cleans up the mess. Uh, and, and really, you, you have sort of become that guy over the last uh, 10 years. I mean, we go back to uh, 9-11, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a long list. But it, it, a part of that in that process, and you, you alluded to it in the, in the answer we were kind of talking about the VW uh, claim, is that, you know, for decades, class actions or MDL, multi-district litigation, uh, were the standard procedure for handling large-scale litigation. And 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 I just like your thoughts on why do you think we've seen this kind of slow, steady movement by defendants and others toward appointing, you know, a czar or somebody such as yourself to ride over a series of claims like this? Well, I challenge the uh, the underlying assumption of your question. Okay. Um, I don't think that we have seen uh, momentum 
okay. in the direction of establishing a separate Feinberg-administered type claims program. You've got uh, Volkswagen, you've got GM, mm-hmm. you've got BP, yeah. you've got 911. Well, there's four. Four and ten years, that's there's true. four. Every day in this country, there are thousands of cases litigated in the courts. Mm-hmm. I don't think that what I do is much of a trend. I think these are aberrations okay. from the normal way that we resolve uh, claims. Now, I must say that in the last few years, the courts, especially the Supreme Court, have been increasingly unhappy hmm. with aggregative tools like Rule 23 of the federal rules, yes. class action rules. Yeah. Um, consolidations, aggregation of mass tort claims. That does pose a dilemma. If you can't aggregate the claims, mm-hmm. then um, you're, you're in, you're, you confront a real uh, challenge. Yeah. The, the, the growth of the MDL is a direct reflection, I think, of the fact that Rule 23, as opposed to the MDL, is disavowed or, or has been criticized by the Supreme Court in the mass tech court uh, tort context. Interesting. Well, it, and, and, and that kind of leads me to my next question, is, which is that, um, and, and I, I think I would agree with you, you know, I mean, uh, because your cases that you do work on are so high profile, it does seem like you're always, uh, that, there, that there's a lot of them, but you're right, in the aggregate, there's really not a lot, and they are special circumstances cases, but... As you know, that's that, right. You yeah. can put them on one hand. Yeah, yeah. So, but but as you're also aware, a lot of mass tort lawyers have a real love hate relationship with this process. And, well, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I can't. I can't blame the lawyers. I yeah. can understand why. Yeah. Trained in law school about the rule of law, mm-hmm. about the adversary system. You pick your lawyer. I pick my lawyer. Judge and jury will decide. That's the American way. Yeah. Along comes these types of programs. Nine eleven. Uh, BP, GM, Volkswagen, uh, that's not what lawyers have been taught and right. what they've practiced, and I can understand their skepticism about this. Yeah, and and, and as far as, uh, you know, the, the guys who kind of have this, you know, relationship and, and we're looking at it like I was not aware that uh, GM had gotten to 93%. I mean, that's a very high acceptance rate. Uh, what what happens, for example, in that case with the other seven percent? I mean, are they uh, do they go into uh, ordinary litigation? Can they uh, take people on individually? I mean, what's what's the uh, uh, what's the protocol? I guess is probably the the protocol says that if you don't voluntarily come in, if you're one of the seven percent that reject my offer, mm-hmm. you go back into the litigation system and do whatever you would do as if you had never applied with me. Okay. In other words, my programs, all of them, including Volkswagen, are purely voluntary. Nobody's required. And if somebody comes in, files a claim, goes through my process, is dissatisfied with the result, it's as if they never entered the process and they're back in the court system, whatever options they want to pursue. That's a a very important point, I think, that gets missed uh, in a lot of the reporting, is that people tend to think it's, yeah, I mean, to a degree, it is either or, but uh, a lot of people, uh, and I remember this was kind of the mythology about BP uh, when that first uh, started, was that you were going to give up your rights uh, to litigation if you went through the process and got scored out and saw saw a dollar figure, and that wasn't the case, was it? They're all they're they're all 
all voluntary. It's a purely voluntary process, and nobody's required to participate. Okay. Well, let me. But you see, people do participate because mm -hmm. the program is not only generous, yeah. but the programs are very cost-effective. Mm -hmm. They are um, certain. You know the result. You're not rolling the dice in the courtroom. Right. They're certain, and they're also very speedy and time-effective. Time I mean, from uh, from beginning to end, we try and get these these dollars out in 90 or 120 days. Yeah, that's remarkable. Well, yeah, you don't remarkable. even have a pretrial discovery order established in most mass litigation in 120 days. That's true. That's true. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen them that they stretch on for years, if not decades, before uh, some right. people are resolved. Well, and that's that kind of leads me to uh, one of my, my last questions here, which is that you know, on the mass tort process, and you know, we talk about the Supreme Court and their, their, their concerns and some of the things that are being addressed, is that do you think the mass tort and the class action process has become unworkable in a lot of cases, and that negotiated and independently administered settlements and claims are going to continue to grow in use, or do you feel that we're kind of looking at you know, these still as one-offs, or, or do, you know, the use of, for example, something I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, uh, Section 468B Settlement Trust, where you can put money in, get an administrator, pay people out in kind of the fashion that you're talking about. Do you think we're, we're headed in that direction because it's become unworkable, as you've said, you know, years go by rather than months, uh, the cost of litigation, the uncertainty? I mean, if you could had to look into the future, what do you see, Ken? Well, I think that as long as the courts remain uh, skeptical about Rule 23 and mm -hmm. aggregative justice, um, Walmart and, and, and cases like that, yeah. a sharply divided Supreme Court, mm -hmm. but as long as aggregative tools are less and less favored in the mass tort context, you will find, I think, greater use, not so much of you know, offline programs like mine. Mm -hmm. But you will see MDL expansion to coordinate cases, yeah. regional consolidations, force 68, as you say, yeah. uh, inventory settlements with the defendants designed to assembly line process individual claims like asbestos. Sure. So like bankruptcy as a way to consolidate. Yeah. So I think you'll see some creative alternatives designed with the same objective in mind. Mm -hmm. Aggregation. Yeah. Consolidating mass tort claims in one forum, whatever that forum might be, for resolution. And um, I think that is more likely to evolve and be more prevalent than the types of uh, relatively rare mm -hmm. um, claims programs that I administer. Well, Ken, you've been really a pioneer in this. Uh, you've, you, you know, even though you say you can count them on one hand, you know, the ones that are on that hand are are cases that people are never going to forget, and they're they're some of the biggest cases in U.S. history. And uh, just appreciate you taking the time today. You know, I know it's uh, holiday season; people are running around, and uh, you know, uh, we we really do appreciate you taking a few minutes, bringing us up to speed, and sharing your thoughts with us this week. Well, Mark, you know, you're performing a pretty valuable public service by uh, getting interviews like mine out there in the airwaves to listeners. And uh, so I'm glad to spend a few minutes with you and, and sort of 
provide my views on on what we're doing, what we're trying to do, and uh, what the future holds. Well, and so that thank you. yeah, well, thank you, and and really, that is what we're trying to do. Is this is this really kind of a weekly long form conversation where we get more than sound bites? We have an opportunity to really kind of discuss issues and put it out there in a way that people can hear it, research it, share it, and expand the knowledge and awareness about these programs and areas of the law. So, Ken, thank you again. I appreciate it, and have a great holiday. Okay, well, thanks for uh, sticking over during the break, and we'll uh, wrap up our show this week. You know, a great interview uh, by just a really bright, uh, dynamic individual in Ken Feinberg. You know, it, the thing that is important about these interviews and what we're working on is that we want to be able to get people in who are working in significant cases uh, that are in different positions, whether the, the trial lawyer, whether a defense attorney, a judge, a mediator, uh, in the case of Ken Feinberg, somebody who uh, administers some of the most high-profile litigation in the United States, and to be able to explain how this works both for attorneys and journalists, but also for people who are involved in these cases, in the litigation, whether it was somebody in BP, whether it was somebody in uh, the GM Ignition case, whether it's Volkswagen. There's a lot of misinformation that goes on. And unfortunately, a lot of what goes over the broadcast airwaves is a soundbite. You get 30 seconds, you get a minute and a half, people talk about it, and it goes away. And there might be some things in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. There might be a few snippets here and there. But then, you know, it goes off the news cycle. People forget about it. What we really want to be able to do in our weekly shows, uh, and speaking of justice, is uh, spend a little bit of time, go into these things a little bit more depth, talk about the issues, and raise questions. And if these interviews raise questions, if you're sitting there saying, well, you know, I, boy, I'd love to have an opportunity to discuss this, rebut this, you know, or I've got a guest that I'd love to have you on, just give me a call. Uh, drop me an email. It's mark at sequencemg.com. Suggest a guest. You can always find us, as we always talk about, on SoundCloud is our major uh, podcasting platform, as well as iTunes. Uh, our Facebook page, go there and like Speaking of Justice on Facebook or the Legal Broadcast Network. You can find our material. You can find our back shows. Uh, you can find the write-ups on this on the Legal Broadcast Network and get involved. You know, this is a uh, you know something that we're passionate about. That we feel that there needs to be greater information shared uh, directly from the people who are involved in the litigation, speaking to the degree that they can uh, about what's going on. So a really solid interview, and uh, we have a great January lined up, some tremendous guests, and you know we look forward to uh, having you back. Make sure you're subscribing. Share it with people in your firm. Share it with your friends. Uh, pass this around. Get them to sign up, and uh, that way they will never miss an episode. This is Mark Wallstrom, and uh, we just want to thank you for uh, continuing to support this, and we'll see you again next week.